Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts Interactive Podcast, presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance. The U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance and me, Phil Lempert, have formed a partnership to engage in weekly conversations with retailers and media in this unique podcast to answer questions around topics including sustainability metrics, water conservation, soil health, and animal care. U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance wants to be your resource for all things food and agriculture. This weekly podcast offers CPGs, retailers, and food trade media a central location to access food and agriculture news and the opportunity to engage directly with a farmer or a rancher and sustainability thought leaders in real time. On today's podcast, join U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance CEO Aaron Fitzgerald for a conversation about responsible investment and marketing across the food value chain through new innovations backed by science and establishing shared outcomes. I then will share a news roundup of the week's top stories in food, agriculture, and sustainability. Then join Georgia corn, cotton, and peanut farmer Jimmy Webb for a Q&A about Hurricane Michael and its impact on farmers, the farm economy, and our food and fiber supply this harvest. Farm food facts will last no more than 30 minutes. If there are any questions that we're not able to get to, Paul Spooner from USFRA will follow up directly. Let's get started. With many retailers and marketers clamoring to stand out from their competitors in today's consumer marketplace, transparency, sustainably grown, absence claims, and unique food offerings help them grow their customer base and build brand loyalty. But sometimes food marketing and investment is made with the consumer in mind instead of the farmer. The CEO of U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance, Aaron Fitzgerald, will discuss how responsible investment and responsible marketing across the food value chain aligns with sustainability through new innovations that are backed by science and establishing shared outcomes. Aaron, why do responsible marketing and sustainability go hand in hand? And why can one not be achieved without the other? Yeah, thanks. I, I think oftentimes we've um, talked a lot in uh, corporate social responsibility about a sustainability team and people that are really working on sustainable sourcing and metrics related to corporate social responsibility, uh, corporate CSR report. But we often um, see that maybe the marketer or the person that's engaging in social media isn't always connected to those in-house experts. And we need to make certain that sustainability is a very complicated topic that um, over the next 10 to 20 years really requires a lot of um, collaboration between scientists, farmers, and the entire food supply chain to deliver and meet the changes required to growing and raising food today. And um, as marketers, we need to also have that conversation about engaging responsibly, just like the corporate social responsibility mandate. It's more than just the sustainability office. It's making certain that we're also engaging with the consumer in a responsible way that is educating them uh, for that future reality. So, Aaron, you know, what I want to do is, is also talk about the importance of food and agriculture partnerships to create the sustainable food systems through a value change sustainability metric, through new innovations, access to the farmer and ranchers. Talk to us for a minute about, you know, these partnerships, how we can really achieve the responsible marketing and sustainability. 
Well, often, you know, I think farmers are really um, undervalued in their contribution that they are providing in that food and agricultural system. Our farmers are the ones that are nourishing the land and also providing and provisioning for food and fiber that goes into our, our value chains. And, you know, it's essential that um, food companies work with farmers and we think of it as a food and agriculture sector. Many times I would say if you're in the food business, you're also in the agricultural business and just recognizing that you are not just a food company, you're an agricultural company too. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. And, and let's talk about innovation for a second. And, and let's talk about oh, how science and technology is going across the entire supply chain. And what are those uh, food and ag um, innovations that, that are really bringing us to a lot more sustainability? You know, I, I think um, if, you know, and we're going to hear from a farmer today, when you see the advancements that are happening out there in soil, soil health, the precision agriculture that many of our farmers are doing on the farm, it's really exciting that we're able to now measure water, soil health, and all of these different things to not only improve yields, but also continue to provide those um, ecosystem services that farmers have done for generations. But now we're actually able to see, as one of my farmers said, that funny carbon in the air that Mm -hmm. you're very practical, tangible people, you're now able to actually see it. And, And and manage for it. So we hear a lot, Aaron, about stewardship. Um, what what you were just talking about, you know, leaving the land better for next generations. Where are we, you know, on that on that uh, timeline? Are we doing a good job of leaving the land better for future generations? You know, I I learned this word stewardship from um, farmers themselves, and I think when we have our conversation about sustainability. Um, they started using the word stewardship. And stewardship really are the values and the commitment to leave this land better for the next generation. And sustainability is about putting those values to work in the day-to-day business model, making the economics work in societal and planetary constraints and and questions and, and really optimizing that for the future. But it's a continuous journey, right? Making a sustainable path forward in your business is not easy. But stewardship, having those values and commitment, it has to start from that place first. And I think that farmers really have taught that they have been committed to the land for generations and they're putting their values to work. Now what I want to do is move back into technology um, and go into our food news. And our first story is about the growing interest in ag and food technology, which may be lucrative for farmers. With the increase of scientific innovation, which ranges from gene editing to artificial intelligence, digital technology being applied to food production and crops, consumers in the Western world are more inclined to choose more healthy and unique products rather than the traditional mass-produced brands. As a result, these powerful trends, agriculture technology has started to intrigue the imagination and dollars of investors. There's also an emerging demand for protein, especially from the developing worlds, putting pressure on our food supply every day. As a result, over the past five years or so, global investment in food tech has more than tripled, with the growing funds funneling into new forms of agriculture and food distribution, such as vertical farms, agriculture robots, and meat alternatives. 
Even entrepreneur Kimball Musk recognizes the huge opportunity for smart young entrepreneurs to create an all-new smart food system to supply the natural local food that consumers are demanding. To give us an idea regarding the scale of this opportunity, he compares the $400 billion global software market, where he made all his billions, alongside the $400 billion global seafood market, and states that food is around 10 times that size. What grocers need to know is that ag science is moving at a rapid pace and retailers need to connect with farmers, just as Aaron said, and ranchers to understand the advances taking place and how they will affect the food supply. And speaking of alternative protein options, there's a new source of protein and it comes from cottonseed. Cottonseed has proven to be toxic for humans and most animals because it contains gossypool, which is a poisonous substance. However, agriculture scientists at Texas A&M have developed a new type of cottonseed that contains very low levels of that to toxic substance, making it feasible for humans to consume. As we continue to search for more new sustainable sources of protein, cottonseed may possibly become the new high-protein food source, in turn procuring a higher demand from cotton growers if the FDA signs off on this new genetically engineered variety of the crop. What grocers need to know is as more consumers consider supplementing their meat consumption with plant-based options, this could provide a new and innovative protein source as well as a boom for cotton farmers. Ironically, while interest in plant-based protein has increased, there's still an ongoing decline in the consumption of good old-fashioned fruits and vegetables. But America's favorite mouse has a plan to fix that, as Mickey Mouse leads huge healthy living campaigns. In a newly launched venture, Dole, the world's largest provider of fresh fruits and vegetables, is teaming up with Disney for a zealous four-month nutrition initiative. Our beloved Mickey Mouse will appear on tens of millions of Dole products available at thousands of supermarkets across North America. The campaign is titled Powering the Hero Within, and it aims to help parents, along with other Disney fans, to motivate their families and children to want to eat a healthier diet and consume more fresh produce. Now, this is not the first time we've seen popular characters in the produce department. We've witnessed Sesame Street characters, even celebrities and sports superstars, but with limited results. However, this time, the world's most powerful mouse, sorry, Mighty Mouse, can motivate more produce consumption. More good news. The American Customer Satisfaction Index was just released earlier this week, and Dole leapt 4% to a score of 85, the biggest increase among all food companies. What grocers need to know is this dual-branded effort to make healthier eating more fun is a great tool to increase produce consumption by using the beloved Mickey icon, as long as the execution with and at retail is targeted and easy to implement. Sparking more in-store merchandising in the department will be the key. And the healthy eating campaign isn't the only new venture kicking off right now. The winning on reducing food waste initiative just launched. The USDA, the EPA, and the FDA have announced that they've signed a joint agency formal agreement called the Winning on Reducing Food Waste Initiative. The focus of this act is to improve coordination and communication across federal agencies in an attempt to better educate consumers regarding the impact and importance of reducing food waste. In the U.S., food waste is estimated to be 30 to 40 percent of the food supply. This figure, which was put together by the USDA's Economic Research Service in 2010, essentially corresponds to 161 
billion worth of food being wasted in just one year. FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, MD, said by taking steps to address obstacles that food donation and recovery programs may face in giving unsold foods a second opportunity and helping food producers find ways to recondition their products so that they can be safely sold or donated, our aim is to both reduce food waste and nourish Americans in need an important step in our progress. What grocers need to know is the cooperation among agencies could have a national impact on reducing food loss and waste long-term and will hopefully open up opportunities for our retail partners to be part of the solution. The times there are changing, and not just in terms of reducing food waste. The glass ceiling for female farmers is about to crack globally. Minette Batters, a beef farmer from Southern England, made headlines in the UK recently as she's been elected as the first female president of the National Farmers Union of England and Wales in its 110-year history. Ms. Batters is part of a growing trend. Developments in technology have been a huge component in the feminization of farming as the latest generation of machines make muscular strength less crucial. Wilhelm Koenig-Hove, a Dutch dairy farmer, spoke to the General Assembly of the UN in New York recently regarding the need to empower women farmers. Problems in farming are similar to those women face in other industries, such as gender stereotyping. Here in the U.S., the future of farming is also looking female. A decade ago, Audra Gaines Mulkern started the Female Farmer Project, a movement that documents the rise of women in agriculture. Their website offers photos, the documentary film, women's work, the untold story of the America's female farmer, and podcasts, as well as other content. Mulkern started the Female Farmer Project to call attention to the agriculture heroes in her midst. As we witnessed just last week here on our podcast with Peggy Greenway, more husband and wife farmers are sharing equal responsibilities on the farm and are making their farms even stronger as a result. What grocers need to know is that farming and agriculture is becoming notably more inclusive as technology and evolving culture opens up more opportunities for women both nationally and globally. Isn't it time you invited a female farmer to your store to meet your customers? Let's move on to the Q&A. So what we have today is a farmer who's going to talk to us a lot about the devastation of our hurricane season. And as a result of it, there's a lot of farmers that are there hurting. So Georgia corn, cotton, and peanut farmer Jimmy Webb, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. So, Jimmy, before we get to the weather and the impact that it has on farming, I know you planted your first crop way back in 1986. What have been the most important changes in farming over those 32 years? Uh, just like every other industry now is technology. Um, Technology has changed, and it's changing even rapider now than it started back probably mid-90s. Um, cotton is the largest crop I produce, demands the most acres. Um, when GMO cotton became available, it changed drastically the way we farmed. Um, at one time, we would spray our cotton probably 25 times a year. Um, A lot of it was through an airplane or with a ground rig. Now we're down to possibly two times. Sometimes it's not even any at all. So what's better for the carbon footprint? What's better for sustainability? We're using less chemistry 
to produce a crop and the yields have improved and it's a much safer environment for all of us out here. So as, as far as technology goes, um, we hear a lot about these automated uh, tractors that you could run by, you know, your cell phone and so on. We talk about drones. Are you using any of those technologies as well? Well, you know, that's a great idea. But the problem with that, in my opinion, from my experience, is the tractor can be driven with, you know, somehow else. But what the tractor is doing is the implement it's pulling or is planting or something. You have to have an operator there to see what's going on because if something's not right, you have to stop and fix it. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing for me is uh, a straight row. People are always proud of their straight rows. Well, struggling to keep a row straight, that was a sense of pride for us. Mm -hmm. Really driver fatigue well now with the auto steer it holds a straight row and we are not so focused on keeping our row straight where we can be focused on what's going on behind us which is the important task we're doing and make sure all that's being done correctly Gotcha. Well, let's move to the weather, because certainly as a farmer, I'm sure that you've been watching this very carefully. I know you've traveled to other parts of the country as well. Um, one of the most important factors in farming, and the one that, you know, farmers can't really control is the weather. What's been the impact from these two recent hurricanes? And as much detail as you can give us, Jimmy, I know that our retailers uh, want to know how it's going to affect them as well. Well, the Hurricane Florence that hit my friends in the Carolinas never made it this far to where I am. I'm in the southwest corner of Georgia, probably 150 miles from the coast of Florida where Michael hit. My friends there had much more rainfall than we did. They had uh, excess of 20 to 25 inches of rain, which is a completely different uh, type of devastation than we had. Um, what we had here was probably six to eight inches of rain, but you have 100 to 105 mile an hour winds this far inland, it was very devastating. Georgia has a, a really vast ag industry. Um, where I am, uh, there's cotton grown, there's corn, there's peanuts, there's some tobacco, there are huge chicken industry, huge pecan industry, uh, timber, um, all of that was dominated. I mean, just destroyed. You have timber on the ground. You have chicken houses on the ground. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be before that effect is felt at the consumer level. I do think um, other areas will gear up to try to help supply, but that's not something you can put back together in a hurry. Three out of four pecan trees in these groves are on the ground, is my understanding from my friends that are in the pecan business. To get that grove back going, you're looking at eight to 10 years before it starts producing nuts again. Those guys have been really devastated. You know, a simple stand of timber that you take for granted that, you know, we have to have the wood to, where the economy is going right now with construction. You know, you got to have 25 years where you get that tree big enough where he can become saw logs. Um, it's been very, very, very tough. Um, 
on everybody. The crop that probably fared the best would probably be peanuts. Peanuts are grown underground. Excess water would have been really bad for us. The 20, 22 inches of rain they had in the Carolinas was tough on their peanut crop. We didn't have that much. We're back harvesting peanuts and peanuts seem to be okay. The problem with that, the infrastructure was down. You have a peanut warehouse and an elevator that takes the peanuts up to dump in the warehouse. A lot of elevators are on the ground. They've been working around the clock to get those elevators back up. Um, it's just a hard pill to swallow. You're going to have, if something doesn't happen, you'll have a lot of a lot of farmers out of business down here. I don't know the impact of what the government can do. And y'all know just as well as I do how slow the wheels of our government does move. Um, it's, you got people really hurting. Um, and we don't know what we're going to do. Me personally, um, I probably lost a half a million dollars of revenue from my cotton crop. That's going to be a hard pill to swallow. So, Jimmy, I want to go back to something that Aaron talked about before um, as far as stewardship and, and you know, preparing the land to, for future generations. What does this kind of devastation do to the land? I mean, you talked a bit about, you know, the trees being down. It, it, it might take a decade or more to recoup the losses. But the soil itself, has that been damaged? Oh, no, no. I, I, I think, you know, we normally have remnants of hurricanes come through. By the time they get here, we're looking at, you know, 30, 40 mile an hour winds. Um, you get salt water mixed in with the rain that the hurricane sucked up out there and dumped on us, but there's not any damage. And there's a lot more of um, a minimum tillage going on in my area. Um, you have a lot more, and granted, I know for a fact I'm a fourth generation farmer. I'm sure you go back farther than that. A lot of people farm. So I'm sure my lineage is back far as you want to know in the ag business somehow. I want to leave this land better for my kids that are behind me. A farmer's not going to do something that's going to affect his land. So it's going to hurt his production. So it's going to hurt his income. That's what a lot of people really, you know, don't understand. I've had questions through social media about, you know, stuff I'm doing is hurting my farm. I'm like, no, ma'am, I don't do stuff like that. <laughs> and that's what you're being told is not correct because I live here. I drink the water here. I have a well, you know, and I'm fine. Um, we're, we, we are, you know, what we do is very sustainable. I mean, we've been doing this forever. And we take care of our property just like anybody's going to take care of their business to try to keep it going. So what, if anything, can farmers and ranchers strive to do um, in the future to avoid this kind of devastation from the weather? Is there anything that can be done or this is it? You just have to keep your fingers crossed. Well, if, if I was to give some advice to some farmers coming up, um, and I don't know how many people realize this, but myself, as long as a lot of growers, I put up everything I own, everything is used for collateral 
for me to borrow the money to make a crop. So every year I'm fully invested. I hear all this talk about corporate farms. I don't know a single corporate farm. Everybody I know is a family operation, families involved. But I would say build you some collateral. Build you equity in your business. Take that equity, if you can, to become diversified. Put your, you know, invest in some other things when you have good years so that in a situation with Mother Nature that you all know we can't control, maybe it won't hurt you so bad. Maybe you have another stream of income that can help weather the storm because you just, you never know when these things are going to happen. Um, and it's, you know, we did everything we could, but, you know, all of a sudden, five days out, you see, oh, God, it's going to come hit us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have harvested all you can, all that was ready. Um, you can't harvest something that's not ready. I did see a lot of questions on social media. Why hadn't they already harvested the crop? Well, you don't harvest that tomato if he's not ripe. Right. You just, you got, it's got to be ready for you to do that. Um, timing is everything, very timing. Um, but, you know, I've, I've built up a lot of equity. Now it's probably fixing to be eaten up in order to, to continue. Um, that's kind of the thought I had. Um, if you can diversify, you know, we're, you know, I'm vertically integrated in a couple of other businesses I have, but they're directly related to this farming. So therefore, when when it's wiped out, that's going to hurt my other business also. Uh, you know, diversify if you can, if you can. And always, uh, you know, you always heard the expression, save for a rainy day. Well, so let's save for a hurricane. <laughs> Well, Jimmy, thanks so much for adding your insights and joining us. And, you know, we'll come back to you as hopefully uh, the weather improves and and get some updates. Uh, We've only got about a minute left. So if anybody has any questions, please uh, type them in. And what I want to do is remind everybody that we've been on a soft launch with Farm Food Facts. We will officially launch on November 14th. I want to thank you for being part of our soft launch. If you've got any recommendations or or suggestions for us, please uh, send us a note. Um, and again, you can find all this information as well as a recording of this podcast on fooddialogues.com backslash farm food facts. And U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance will also be at Grocery Shop starting this Sunday through Tuesday. And if you're going to be there, please stop by and say hi. And thank you for joining us.